0: Brother well somebody pinch me because I feel like finally my prayers have been answered and it sounds like there is the Possibility that there will in fact after long last be a Harry Potter TV show for years and years I feel like we have been waiting for this particular announcement and throughout those years We've wondered what the TV show would actually be about is it going to be the Marauders the founders or is it going to be a retelling of the original seven Harry Potter books Heck, back in 2021, we even made a video pitching all of our favorite ideas as to what we would like to see on screen. And I suppose it is worth mentioning, while the announcements that we've seen so far do seem promising, nothing officially official has actually been announced quite yet. But all the leaks so far seem to be indicating that sometime in the next week or two, that official announcement should be coming when all the official details have been sorted out. Which of course brings about the question, what will they be announcing? Well, again, so far it's been very vague, but according to Bloomberg, it's going to be about retelling the original seven stories. With each season basically coinciding with each of the books and progressing as we go, but also having a lot more time to focus on other characters other than Harry, Ron, and Hermione. Which is amazing news. Forever I have wondered whether or not they would ever remake the original eight movies with updated casting and new aesthetics. But the thing is, while this does sound like so much fun in theory, I do also always find myself coming back to one particular question, which is sort of like the... But what is the point of it? Because again, we do already have the movies, but there is the potential for a show to shed light on characters that we've really never spent a lot of time with before. And I think that there's a lot of potential for these additional backstories to fill in a lot of the gaps that already exist within the Wizarding World. That being said, I am also endlessly fascinated about who is the ultimate target market of this particular TV show. Is it old fans who already know all of the twists and turns which would then allow them to retell the story in a brand new way? Or is it intended to be an entry point for brand new fans altogether so we still have a scene like... You. No, it can't be. Snape, he was... He was like... Yes, he does seem the type, doesn't he? For the record, he does seem the type. And for me, if anybody was listening, I would say that I think it would be great to include all of the classic key plot points and twists while also throwing in a few new details that we've never seen before. But either way, for the purposes of today's video, we are going to assume that they're going to be doing a complete retelling of the original seven Harry Potter books and what we would love to see inside of those episodes, what extra characters we want to see more backstories for and side plots that we've never had in the past. Today, let's explore. Okay, so I'm not gonna lie, it was really difficult to narrow in on what things we would like to see the most because there are just so many of them. And it's also difficult to tell like whether or not a retelling of the story like this would potentially count as canon or who even the intended audience is like it feels like if they add new plot lines in all then maybe those do count as canon but if they switch something up where the books already had the story doing it a different way then you would still stick to the books does that make sense also by they i of course do mean the writers of the story which according to reports they have not locked in so far so i would just like to say like if anybody's asking we are available i don't want to say that it would be like my absolute dream to contribute to harry potter canon or anything but like I do have probably a million ideas. So HBO, Warner Brothers, whoever, give us a call. We are cheap. All that being said, though, let's just dive into our list with number 10, who I've got to say it is pretty obvious who it should be. Can everybody see me? Can you all hear me? Let's just go ahead and start with Lockhart and as much of his story as they're willing to give us. As it stands right now, he's just sort of a buffoon who's almost like too thick to even function. And yet we know that he is at least cunning enough to be able to convince people that he is this otherwise amazing hero. And now, it's of course important to remember that the real point of Lockhart in the first place is to show Harry what could happen if he leans in too hard to his fame. Which was kind of a huge commitment on the part of Dumbledore, who basically decided to have a completely inept teacher come in to teach your entire school for a whole year so that one pupil learns a valuable life lesson. Hardly any of you remember that my favorite color is lilac. The greater good. Am I right? But I'd personally love to see how he actually became that way. And we actually do have a little bit of a backstory, just thanks to an article on Wizarding World. Which basically tells the story about how Lockhart was the only magical child inside of his family, which led him to believe that he was special, which I guess in some way, maybe he was. But he didn't exactly account for the fact that when you go to magic school, all of the other students are also magical. My thinking here is that each season of the series would be following multiple different characters at once, not just specifically Harry. And with that, inside of each season, you would have at least one flashback character that was simultaneously telling a story that was also relevant to the present. And in a lot of ways, what I think this would ultimately provide to you, the viewer, is a lot more complexity to characters that otherwise seem a little bit one-dimensional. And for Lockhart specifically, especially if we're showing his time at Hogwarts, it would be a great way to demonstrate the social dilemmas that both him and Harry were going through, where Lockhart always goes left and Harry always goes right. Like for example, right out of the gate, Harry arrives at school not thinking he's special at all, but for reasons completely out of his control, he kind of is. Lockhart on the other hand would have arrived at school absolutely certain that he was special and then would discover that The thing that made him special is a lot more commonplace than he ever could have expected. And on this exact same note, let me go ahead and shift gears on our countdown to number nine, Professor Quirrell. Who would suspect poor stuttering Professor Quirrell? Once again, I think there's really interesting decision-making when it comes to how to tell the story when it comes to a character like Quirrell, because so many members of the audience know exactly what's going on already. So for this one, we all know that it's actually Quirrell who's attempting to get the Philosopher's Stone throughout Harry's first year, not Snape. And I definitely think it's very important to stick with this particular decision, especially considering the huge ramifications the character of Snape has throughout the rest of the story. But I think if you spent sections of each episode or maybe even dedicated an entire episode to Quirrell's backstory, it could be absolutely fascinating. He's simply out there trying to prove himself in the world. Maybe he struggled a little bit during his own time at Hogwarts or maybe even just was fearful and thought facing the dangers of the world could be a way to overcome that. But instead of this like budding villain that we ultimately see, he's almost much more endearing along the way. There's almost a part of me that can even see him similar to a Newt's Commander type of character. Someone you're genuinely rooting for the whole time until he ultimately discovers a shortcut to power hiding in the forest of Albania. In that way, I think Quirrell, much like Lockhart, could ultimately become his own cautionary tale. He could represent the best of us, even the underdog, if you will. But it's the intoxicating power, even of a subdued Voldemort, that overcomes him. I also personally just think it would be great if he has, like, a hilarious run-in with an iguana. You know, just for just for funsies. Speaking of fun, I'm not sure anywhere we could find even more fun than getting more exposure to the Marauders, and what better way to do that than through number eight, number eight, how many is eight? (laughs) Through number eight, Lupin. But guys, we need to pause right here to give a quick thank you to today's sponsor, Kudos. So if you shop online, you probably have an app or possibly even apps to make sure you're finding the best coupon codes, right? Well, now you should also add Kudos to your repertoire because they will make sure you are constantly getting the most available cash back. Kudos is a free shopping cart extension that makes sure you're using the best card at checkout. And it actually goes so far as to double the rewards that you're receiving on over 15,000 different websites. So let's say you have a credit card that gets you 3% cash back on somewhere like MeUndies or HelloFresh, for example. Now you'll actually get 6% cash back for free with kudos. Because I mean, at the end of the day, what's better than free money other than just even more free money, am I right? Guys, I use Kudos all the time, whether it's for purchases for the business here at Super Carlin Brothers, or just for myself personally. All you have to do is add it to your Chrome browser or iPhone and it'll automatically come into effect at checkout to hand you free cash. Like just for example, the other day, I was personally shopping at MeUndies, which is just also another sponsor of the show, by the way. And right away, Kudos helped me maximize my purchase by ensuring I was getting the most rewards. But at the same time, it was also reminding me of other card benefits like purchase protection. Like Kudos is coming into play in so many ways that I never even expected it to. It's really a no brainer, guys. It's free money and plenty of it. And Kudos actually helped save the average consumer $750 per year. Just imagine all of the fun things that you could spend that on. So don't wait, use code SUPER to get Kudos for free when you head on over to joinkudos.com super. That's joinkudos.com super so that they know we sent you. Earn more by doubling your rewards with Kudos today. Link in the description down below. What, what I'm finding as I was writing this script is maybe I just want more backstory on Defense Against the Dark Earth professors. But maybe, maybe just leave out Umbridge. You understand why. Actually, on that exact note, I've always felt like it was a massive missed opportunity not to have Harry go on to ultimately become the Defense Against the Dark Arts professor for a very long time after successfully breaking the curse of the position. Wasn't that like the entire point of Dumbledore's army? Aren't these the professors, the ones that are having the most impact on his schooling for better or worse? I digress though, and the point is a Marauder series is something people have been asking for for a very long time. And I can totally see why. We've got some of our all-time favorite characters, Remus, Sirius, Peter, James. You could have their time at school, quarrels with Snape, Lily Evans. Maybe even a little glimpse into what their role was like as they entered the first Wizarding War. And Lupin's backstory being explained provides a lot of runway into what these characters were actually like, not just little one-liners that are kind of popping up here and there in people's memories. Everless? Who wants to see me take off trousers? Within all of that though, I think once again, you get the opportunity to compare and contrast what the Marauders were like during their time at school to what Harry and Hermione and Ron are doing during theirs. Like Harry to me never reads as like capital P popular so much as famous or potentially even infamous depending on your perspective. Good Lord. Are you really? The Marauders on the other hand are a little bit different. They're Fred and George, Draco, Neville, Harry, Ron and Hermione all in one. James in particular, obviously I think is a character you can illustrate a lot with. His life is really the one that Harry's never had the opportunity to be for better or for worse. He's cocky and arrogant and honestly just kind of a bully, but he is also very smart and talented and above all else, deeply cares about other people. For example, he achieved the feat of becoming an Animagus just so that Remus's time during the full moon was that much more tolerable. People aren't perfect on their best days, and I'm sure many of us wouldn't want to be held to the standards of our high school counterparts. And that's where I think seeing Lupin's backstory can offer a lot of complexity to that particular situation. Maybe even flashing forward to how Lupin is actively trying to pull the best part of James out of Harry while also maybe dampening some of the more rash behaviors. But hey, as long as we're speaking of trust and rash behaviors, let's move on to number six on our list, Hagrid's Tale. Hagrid's Tale is of course his journey into the mountains with Madame Maxine to try to negotiate with the giants to become a part of the Order of the Phoenix prior to the Second Wizarding War. In the books, we actually get a pretty good account of what happened on that journey from Hagrid himself, but it was never something that we actually got to see in the films. This journey overall for Hagrid, I think could offer a lot of growth for his character in particular. For example, we could see more of his relationship with Madame Maxine. I think that we could see more of the history of his own family, and also just seeing Hagrid be incredibly capable, which is something that I don't think we got to see nearly enough of on the pages or in the films. We know he's not exactly a dab hand at spell casting, but similar to how he uses the stray unicorn hairs to wrap bandages, I think there are other incredible opportunities to showcase how he interacts with creatures of the forest to get by. But more than that, I think that if we can see Hagrid in action outside of how he is around Harry, we could also get a better glimpse into just simply why Dumbledore trusts him so very much. I would trust Hagrid with my life. Heck, to that end, maybe even Hagrid himself could shed some light on that particular subject. I shouldn't have said that. I should not have said that. It does seem like for one reason or another, Dumbledore has an affinity for people who have strong relationships with magical beasts. Do you know why I admire you, Nude? We here at SCB had long suspected that this was something that would have been addressed during the Fantastic Beasts series, but we don't exactly know if there will ever be an ending to those. (laughs) But from there, let's move on to the next item on our list, which is going to be number five, Draco Malfoy. If you're a fan of this channel, you may already be completely aware of this, but we are kind of obsessed with what else could have been done with Draco's character. I'll try to keep it brief because I feel like I've heard myself say these words a million times already. But Draco, for a lot of his schooling, is just very simply the product of his upbringing. He's just parroting his parents' beliefs to anyone who will listen. But when it comes time to truly put his magic where his mouth is, I genuinely feel like things could or should get interesting. And I think getting a closer look into the life of Draco Malfoy could not only be great from a narrative perspective, but also provide us a lot of context into how we deal with and where bullies come from. Don't get me wrong, Draco is not nice, but it's not like he's not battling a lot of his own demons as well. So for me, the big question that I want to know the answer to is what's happening between those pages? What does Draco's jealousy of Harry look like when he's not slinging insults? How is he handling his own insecurities, and what was his childhood like that led him to the character we meet in year one? Barring any or all of that, though, I think if nothing else, Half Blood Prince provides a massive opportunity for Draco's narrative. What is his ingenuity with solving or repairing the vanishing cabinets? Like, what type of puzzle did he have to figure out to make them work? Repairo, 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 repairo. But even more importantly, I think, is the question of, like, what is his inner divide now that he is this far in? Like, is there a world where his envy of Harry at this point in time has less to do with what Harry's doing on the Quidditch field and more to do with what Harry's alignment is? Like, the fact that Draco finds himself caught in Voldemort's web while Harry is being taken under Dumbledore's wing. But hey, we mentioned Quidditch, so let's talk about that more with number four, the Quidditch World Cup. Have you ever heard of a bottle episode? Maybe the one with the fly from Breaking Bad or the beard episode from Ted Lasso? An episode where the plot seemingly doesn't move forward at all. You just sort of get a glimpse into something that's happening. That's what I want. Season four, episode one, bottle episode, the Quidditch World Cup, the game. Crumb performing the Ronsky feint, Luda Bagman being a character, at all. The Velas being present at all. Winky being present at all. And of course, Fred and George's time traveling antics, full video by clicking the card. This one I actually think can stretch even further beyond the Quidditch World Cup and just Quidditch being a really big deal to the story hard stop because in a lot of ways i actually think that quidditch is as important to harry's story as a character like hedwig is hedwig serves as the marker as to harry's entry into the wizarding world and her death also marks the end of his childhood quidditch being central to harry's concerns and worries as he's going through school is a key part of what represents his adolescence as is leaving it behind because at the end of the day quidditch seems to be one of the things that keeps harry grounded or at least as Grounded, is flying several hundred feet in the air on a small stick of wood can be being grounded. But also major plot points occur because of Harry's love of Quidditch. Like, in case you've forgotten, that's actually why he takes Patronus lessons, so that he can win at Quidditch. But I also think it's important to emphasize that things like fun and play and sports are part of what Harry has inside of him that allows him to ultimately defeat Voldemort. I just can't imagine Voldemort busting out a set of gobstones in the Slytherin common room. Can you? When I kept reading that, I kept thinking, like, for some reason, someone would bring Yahtzee, and Voldemort being like, what is a Yahtzee? That student probably goes missing. Almost certainly. Even worse. Even worse. Voldemort just ends up killing all five members of the Yahtzee club, and then whispers, Yahtzee. If if you're listening and looking for real notes, do not include that, okay? Just for, we should probably move on though. So next up is number three, Dumbledore's missing days. I speak of course of all the times that Dumbledore is mysteriously missing during Harry's sixth year. Of course, we know that he's chasing down leads and tracking down memories that can ultimately lead to the defeat of Voldemort. But I would personally love to get a firsthand look as to what that actually looked like. Like for the most part, we're only ever seeing like untrained wizards do magic, it would be amazing to see a master at work and how his hand is ultimately cursed. It also feels like a massive opportunity to just introduce character after character as Dumbledore completes his hunt. And I'm not gonna lie, I've always just been personally obsessed with the character of Newt and I've always kind of wondered why he didn't have more of a role during this particular era of Harry's life. And so I just think it would be fun to go and see Dumbledore consult with his old friend. The gaunt line is also an important part of the founding of Ilver So maybe he has to go there, you know, track him down from the start. But also, if he's specifically hunting down the ring in particular, it also could be a great introduction to the Deathly Hallows themselves. Obviously, Dumbledore does eventually find the ring, which also is the Resurrection Stone. But also similar to like those Lockhart flashbacks that we talked about earlier, I think it'd be very interesting to compare and contrast Dumbledore versus Voldemort's kind of pursuit of power. Which, speaking of, that will bring me to number two on our list, Dumbledore versus Grindelwald, for real. I mean, to be fair, it looked like eventually we were going to get a flashback to the battle between Averforth and Albus and Grindelwald that one day that Ariana is ultimately killed. Not that I actually think it's important at all to get a definitive answer as to who actually did kill Ariana, because I feel like that's kind of the whole point, nobody knows, and Dumbledore blames himself no matter what. But given everything that we know about Obscurus' at this point, it would be very interesting to go back to Dumbledore and Ariana and see how he was dealing with her during those years. Especially since the ending of the Fantastic Beasts series currently seems to be dead in the water at the moment, so there's that. But that would also bring us to the ultimate subplot of them all with number one, Dumbledore's big plan. If you are unfamiliar with this particular theory, it is the idea that ever since Voldemort marked Harry as his equal, Dumbledore has been pulling the strings so that eventually Harry would be able to defeat him. This would be true in ways that even we, the reader, were never fully told. And you might be like, uh, yeah, obviously, because it is often alluded to the idea that Harry is being watched a little more closely than he realizes and is always being protected. But the more you start looking, the more it seems to go a lot deeper the more it seems like the obstacle course at the end of Harry's first year is specifically there for him to test his skills on. Otherwise, why are there obstacles at all? Is the idea like, yeah, no, we're protecting this thing unless you can beat our game. In which case we just gotta say like, shoot, fair play. Fair, fair is fair. Beyond that though, the mirror is unbeatable. So what's the point of All the rest of it. Dumbledore could have literally put it in the Great Hall in a sign overhead that said, Free Philosopher's Stone if you can get it out, and no one would have been able to. And while all of the key plot points aren't immediately obvious, Harry himself seems to have a theory that maybe Dumbledore did in fact intend this. He's a funny man, Dumbledore. I think he sort of wanted to give me a chance. I think he knows more or less everything that goes on here, you know? I reckon he had a pretty good idea we were going to try, and instead of stopping us, he just taught us enough to help. I don't think it was an accident he let me find out how the mirror worked. It's almost like he thought I had the right to face Voldemort, if I could. As Harry goes into his second year, you would see this exact same kind of decision making again, like we said earlier, with Lockhart. It's supposed to show Harry how not to deal with his fame. And it might sound outlandish at first that Dumbledore was going to such extraordinary lengths just to teach one person at his school something at the cost of maybe everyone else. But you also have to remember that he, Dumbledore alone, knows the entire contents of the prophecy. And with that information, just how important Harry specifically is in the fight against Voldemort. Which is to say, the future of the free world. So maybe you could make the argument that it's a low price to pay for one year's worth of students to be taught by Lockhart in the name of the greater good. Hey, wait a second. That's what Dumbledore said in that letter to Grindelwald. What I think would be amazing about integrating this into every single season along the way is that it adds so much more depth to what Dumbledore is actually doing, what his intelligence is like, and I think there'd be a huge payoff at the end. And if this TV show is in fact coming, this is really the first ever opportunity to explore that idea fully because when the original movies were coming out, the books weren't even complete yet. So you can't really blame them for not having a full series subplot that was simultaneously happening alongside the main story itself. But this time there's all the time in the world to integrate it from the very beginning. And trust me, there's a lot to this particular idea. In fact, we made an entire seven part series outlining all of the little bits that are actually part of Dumbledore's big plan. If you'd like to check it out, you can do so by clicking the card. But there you go, guys. Those are our top 10 wishes or subplots or side plots to see in the potential upcoming Harry Potter TV show. What other stories do you hope get explored? Be sure to let us know in the towel section down below. Hint, peeves. Peeves is a great answer. But guys, as always, thank you so much for watching. Be sure to like this video and subscribe to the channel if you haven't already. If you would like to see the entire mega cut of Dumbledore's Big Plan, you can do so right over here. But otherwise, until next time, bye!